ultimately took it. And I found out later why. She said, Chris, I don't know if I've ever finished something. And I want to learn this management position so well that it would become an avenue through which I share the gospel with friends and other people in Taiwan and beyond. I was so moved when she shared that idea. It's amazing to see how God is surrounding her with people and other resources to help her to learn and grow in this position. Around this same time, actually, we had a desire stirring in our hearts to build an education center, a space where more people could hear about Jesus, a space that went beyond the current limitations of our facility, a space that could focus on education and training and equipping our Taiwanese brothers and sisters. And so we actually found a spot right above our cafe. And then COVID hit. Investors pulled out and said, we just don't feel comfortable with this during the COVID era. I believe that the education center is going to be a vital part of our ministry moving forward. But I think God has more than what our original plans were. See, what he starts, he finishes. And so we're excited to build into the next step of what God is doing here. I mean, what would it be like if thousands of Jennifers could be in a place where they could find a vision for their lives, discover God's calling for their lives, and then get trained and equipped in that, get sent out? We believe that God has great things in store for this country, but the work's not finished. We need partnership with people like you to be able to move forward, to progress towards finishing the work. Thank you for partnering with us.
Good morning. Uh, welcome to Common Ground. My name is Evan. I'm the lead pastor here, and it's good to see so many of you back from break, ready to wake up early for class tomorrow. I know you guys are super excited. So welcome back after Christmas break. Really glad that all of you are here worshiping with us this morning. Um, I just have a few announcements um, for you this morning, and that is um, some of which are that our Bible study and hot topics and things are coming back now that break is over. So next Sunday, hot topics will be back at 7 p.m. Wednesday morning, 9.30, our Bible study through the book of John is running up again. And so join us for those as everything gets running up again now in the month of January. Also today, um, what I know everybody is looking forward to is that we are having our annual meeting after church today, our family meeting um, where we get to gather together as a family and cover some of the important details that we have to look over um, as a body. And so stick around after church today, hoping to have you guys out after an hour or within the hour, depending on how long Chris's financial report is. Should be good. Shouldn't have too much like explaining to do, but it should be good. So stick around for our annual meeting today after church. Also coming up, Next Saturday is a Halawasa Work Weekend. Say that five times fast. Halawasa Work Weekend. Next Saturday, January 15th, um, we have a lot of work to do at Camp Halawasa that we're trying to help out with. Uh, a lot of painting, sanding, hanging doors, building a utility room. We're going to be moving some furniture stuff around. And there's also a lot of outdoor work, like cutting of limbs, trees, like tree limbs, and those kind of things. Um, off, I realized I should probably yeah, think about the way I said that. Um, so we're going to be cutting those outside and doing all that work. There is the potential, um, if you're up for it, uh, you can stay the night and work in the morning. At the moment, the furnace is not working super well, and so you're still welcome to stay the night, but I would recommend bringing a very nice sleeping bag if you're going to do that, just in case, um, and then continuing on that work in the morning. Um, so we have a group of people who are meeting here at 8 a.m. to carpool over there. The plan is to be at Camp Halawasa outside of Hot Springs at 9.30, and so you can either meet us there at 9.30 or you can carpool here at 8 a.m., and we're going to drive out and get some work done for the camp so that this summer when students come um, to learn about Jesus, um, to commit their lives to Christ for the first time, that they have a good place where they're able to do that. So join us for the Halawasa Work Day next week. Um, also, um, we have a few clipboards bouncing around, if you could... Uh, those around. So the one clipboard on the front is for the Halawasa Work Weekend. We will be feeding you lunch, um, so please let us know if you're going to attend so that we can make sure we have enough food for you. The second one is something called RAP um, that we are having people sign up for. And RAP is a partnership with South Dakota Kids Belong, and that's an organization that partners with foster families and children in the foster system to provide support for these families who are currently fostering or have adopted children out of the foster care system. And what a wraparound team does is provides those four things, spelled out with the acronym RAP, um, for families who currently have children. And so well, I would encourage you, sign up there if you're willing to be a part of a RAP team. What will happen is South Dakota Kids Belong will basically give us a family or a few families in which we will wrap around. And then if you are someone um, who is a prayer warrior, or if you're someone who is handy, who can fix things, or if you're someone who would be willing to babysit, or I don't know, play basketball with kids and provide respite care, or if you're someone um, who's willing to write encouraging letters, encouraging messages to these families, then please sign up and indicate which one of those four functions you feel like you could fulfill the best. Or if you can do them all, go ahead and write rap next to you so we know kind of what, what kind of things we can provide on there. But please sign up for rap. I think it's going to be really valuable to these families to be able to receive this care from us. Also, big news. Um, we told you a few weeks ago to be saving the dates um, for trip in the spring because after 
basically a two-year hiatus, Mission Mexico is back on. Um, so for the last few years, because of the pandemic, um, we haven't been able to get down to Mexico um, to visit, but this year it is a go. We got word, what, Wednesday, that it is officially a go. We mentioned that it was a go, kind of not really anticipating that it could actually work, but planning nonetheless. But now it's official. We are going back to Mexico. Look at all these young faces there as they were, what is that, like three or four years ago um, that they were down there working. And so we're going to be heading down to Mexico again this spring break. We are, okay, we're kind of working on the details and the planning here because uh, the guy from Minnesota who runs and leads our trip has planned it for when the South Dakota School of Mines spring break has been in the past. And this year, the spring break has moved a week forward. So currently the trip is planned for March 6th through the 15th. We need to be in El Paso at March 6th. We're working on that date. It may or may not move, so no promises. It may still be planned for March 6th through the 15th, and we're trying to figure out if it is possible to get it moved. We're trying, we're working. If anyone's willing to drive to Minnesota and talk to Jim Sumbo, please let me know. You can head out there. Um, and we're looking at probably the same price for the trip, so if you are interested in going, it'll be around $600. Obviously, with inflation and the rising prices and some things, it might be a little more than that, so no promises, but looking at right around $600. And so, if you're interested in going, if you've been in the past, and you'd be willing to continue to talk to people about it, please, come see me. Uh, let me know if you'd be interested in going on this trip, because we're going to head down to Mexico in March and put on a pastor's retreat. So pastors from all around the area, I know some travel for like two days, um, to come to this retreat where they can be refreshed and ministered to as they are ministering in some of the hardest areas out there. Um, we're going to be putting on kids ministry in a VBS for a lot of kids. There's going to be a sports camp. I don't know what sports, all the sports, but we're going to do sports. And there are various work projects that could be done around that area. And so we have a lot to do down there for them, but really excited for that time. So say that day, sign up for Mission Mexico as we're going to go for the first time in two years. I'm really excited about it. So join us for that. That's all the announcements I have for you. So I'm going to go ahead and invite you to your feet. And I would say, move around the room. Go ahead and say hi to someone. And go ahead and greet someone that you might not know before.
As always, we always have a time in our service where we give back to God's kingdom and we, we do receive gifts. And there are three ways to give here at Common Ground in person. We have a giving box in the back online or there's a text to give option. And I just want to ask you guys to consider giving to the 
go to Mexico Mission Fund just because it is such an amazing opportunity uh, to bring the gospel to another people group who desperately need a savior. Um, and I think that a gift could go a long way in bringing those people to Jesus, but also the people that go to encounter Jesus in new ways. So if that's on your heart this morning, I just encourage you to pray over this as we sing this next song.
have enough to lead us in a time of prayer. Thank you, guys. Thank you, team. It's pretty cool. We have all three worship leaders up leading together. That's pretty cool. I don't know when the last time that happened. That's good. Well, hey, it's at this time that we're going to be transitioning um, into a time of prayer. Um, one of the things that we remind you guys over and over again is that if you come to Common Ground, you will be prayed for. Um, that's not an option. Um, and so what we do during this time um, is we share with one another on how we can be praying. Um, we believe that God hears us, that God answers prayers. And so it's during this time that we share the things that we are asking God to do, um, the things that we are praising God for, the things that he has done um, that should be shared with one another. And so Matt is going to be running a mic um, that he has over here once he gets to it. And so I'm just going to open the floor and go, <laughs> Alex will. He's faster than Matt anyway, so that'll work. But... I'll go ahead and open the floor and just ask, how can we be praying for you? Um, how can we celebrate what God has been doing in your life with you? Um, so, okay, there it is. Um, so this week we had a bit of a scare. Um, Tuesday night, I was at home, got a call from Andrea's boss. She had had a seizure at work. Um, they took her to the hospital. Um, really kind of scary time there for a little bit. Um, but we did, they ran a bunch of tests, CT, MRI. They did find on the EEG that uh, there was some hyper excitability, they called it, in her brain. That she doesn't technically have epilepsy, but is more prone to seizures, um, could be caused because of pregnancy and birth, you know, any number of things. Um, they think it's going to be just a one-off deal. They get put her on some medication, but she cannot drive for six months, which is going to, you know, make things interesting. Um, but I do just, uh, along with all that, you know, Evan was able to come Tuesday night while we were in the ER. Um, Matt randomly didn't even know what was going on showed up in our room when her IV was dinging at us, um, shut that off. And so, you know, my sister and brother-in-law were able to watch the aura. And, and so we're just really blessed with all the people around us, but also with the doctors that were able to find things out and um, get us a, at least an answer. So yeah. Yeah. at least prayers for us going forward. If this doesn't happen again, mm -hmm. um, but also just prayers and thanks. Yeah. Yeah. And also my voice is finally coming back. <laughs> Back, that's good, yeah. Yeah, we're glad there wasn't any serious lingering effects, but it's scary just to not know. That's all the unknowns there. So we pray for answers for that. And I think right in front of you, or I think there's one more in there. Okay, well, along the seizure line, um, my daughter Christina over there can relate to you. Um, <laughs> she is in her six months without driving thing from a seizure also. And Christina is a, sorry, don't want to embarrass you. <laughs> don't worry about it. <laughs> <laughs> She's used to it by now. Christina had an MRI a couple weeks ago to try to um, find out what was causing her seizures and um, basically came back as clear as it could be and I think it's just something that can be controlled by a change in medication. So um, praise God for getting her through that MRI, which is 
not a fun thing. All right. <laughs> and I also want to embarrass my husband. <laughs> and um, praise God that he still has all his fingers. Because um, <laughs> he At had... Least most of them. He had a, a second accident this last weekend with his um, tools and uh, did a nasty little cut, but um, God protected him, and we did go to the ER this time. <laughs> so thank yeah. you for protecting him from something that could have been worse. Yeah, praise God. He shouldn't be using those fingers anyway, though, but that's okay. And praying for Christina's. Yeah, Christina's time. She's been chugging along pretty strong without a car. So, yeah, really praying for you. Let's <laughs> get good ones. Dayton over here in the corner. Just an update on Ron Baker, a uh, friend of ours and several other people here in church. Uh, he's down in Tucson doing rehab from brain surgery. Surgery went extremely well, but the recovery is going slowly. He's still having trouble using his right side. Needs a lot of help. Uh, so I just pray for healing. And <laughs> it's not you, Tony. for a while now down in Arizona and yeah going through a lot so we're pray for his spirit Michael good morning uh, my name is Michael this is my first visit to the church um, I come from Hill City South Dakota and they have the little white church up there and so Pastor Evan told me this morning that their church is a sister church so I'm really pleased with that um, my prayer is for our country right now we're in a time with this pandemic where we're so derisive, um, we're divided, and we can't come to an agreement. And it's so simple to come to the agreement. I know it's not a simple answer, but my prayer is for our country to get along. <laughs> you know, it's yeah. so simple, and I pray for our country to <coughs> persevere. Mm -hmm. We will conquer Omicron or whatever they throw at us. Um, so yeah, thank you. That's and Jesus said that we'll be known by our love for one another, and so I think, yeah, I think leading that starts with us here in the church, loving one another, and finding unity there. So, pray for that in our country. Anything else? I will add as you're making your way around, pray for Nick. Nick Rombo is sick this week, so he's not feeling well. He's at home healing up, so be praying for Nick as he's. Battle in a bit of a sickness. Antonia, yeah. Um, I'd like to ask for um, prayers for my dad. Um, first of all, praise because he and I are on speaking terms again, which is great. Mm -hmm. It was like seven months coming, so 
prays for that and then prayers for um, his upcoming medical struggles. Um, he's getting his knee replaced later this week and um, his not cancer cancer uh, has turned into um, diabetes. So he's uh, just starting to learn how to, um, to manage that. So yeah, just prayers for my dad and praise for healing. I'd just like to praise God for yesterday protecting my family. We were supposed to have a really busy day, and I don't want to say that God made me lazy that day, but he didn't actively work to make me not lazy, and so we stayed home, and as I was sitting on the couch, my baseboard heater caught fire, and I was there to take care of it, so if we would have been gone, we probably would have lost our house, so... Thank you, God, for not making me move. Praise God. Yeah. <laughs> Frozen in place for an unexplainable reason. Oh, praise God. Barb, right behind you. <laughs> I don't have one for you. You did need one, honestly. So, God, we praise you for that. We praise you for that. And, God, I just pray um, for Logan and Andrea, for the Phelps family this morning. Um, just with this scary uh, medical emergency this last week, um, just all the, the stress and the anxiety that came along with it, I just thank you um, for rallying the Common Ground family around them um, during this time. Um, and I just pray that you continue to, to just work to provide answers. God, we praise you um, that Andrea doesn't have any lingering feelings of sickness or anything like that, but at the same time, that almost makes it so confusing and scary because we don't know what exactly is going on. Um, so God, I just pray that you would be empowering the doctors, that you would be um, providing answers um, to this mystery situation, what exactly happened, that you'd be able to calm the fears, that you would be able to um, just reveal the truth of what is going on um, in her body. Or God, would you just clear out anything and everything, and that this would be a one-off thing that would never happen again. Um, but God, in the meantime, we just pray for the next six months, as she's not able to drive, um, just all the inconvenience and the difficulty that that causes. I just pray uh, for patience during this time. I just pray that even though this seems like such an inconvenience, that it would just work out, um, that this time would just fly by. Um, and God, we're just reminded of our sister Christina as well, with how she has had to go through this ordeal over the last year of not being able to drive and of the seizures um, and of scans that don't show anything, God. And so... We praise you that there is nothing 
glaringly wrong on her scans, but God, at the same time, we're seeking answers. We're seeking answers to what is going on. God, so we just ask that you'd be working in Christina's body. And God, we, we thank you for protecting Ray, or at least most of Ray, God, um, with um, just how much worse um, this accident could have been. And I just thank you um, that he was able to, to learn from this and not have to be in any serious um, condition after this, God. So we just thank you for your protection over the Straub family. Um, I just ask that you would continue to do that as they are continually in these situations that most would see as just so scary and dangerous, but yet, God, you keep moving them out the other side. Uh-huh. And so I just praise you for that. Would you continually just remind them of, of how you will protect them in the future and that they could look back on the past and how you've got them through that um, with hope, knowing that you've got them this far and you will continue to carry them into the future. And God has Dayton shared the news about Ron Baker and his surgery and just how kind of discouraged he has been. Um, we just ask that you would lift Ron's spirits. Um, we just pray for him um, down in Arizona that, that his family can be able to be around him and help him, that he is not feeling alone, that he's not feeling forgotten, that he's not just feeling um, left there. Um, God, we just know all that is going on physically in his body, and we just ask for a miracle in his body. But even in the midst of that, where you recognize that these, these physical things can just lead to so much discouragement, so much doubt, um, just change who he is. And so, God, I just pray that you would be lifting his spirit. Would you really be present and tangible in his heart and mind? Uh, would you continue to speak through Dayton unto him in those conversations that he would be able to reveal the truth of who you are and who he is um, to run? Would you just continue to be speaking for all he's been through. My God, we thank you that Michael has joined us this morning. God, we just thank you um, for this, this big family that we call the church that we get to be a part of. God, we just thank you for that, and we just always are praising you for the work that you're doing um, in the lives of all these people that, that we don't even know. Um, but he's reminded us of just how difficult things are um, in the world right now, just the division, the divisiveness, um, the hate that flows between people. God, we know that you have called us be a people united by our love for you, um, to be a people who image you, who imitate you, who are like you to all of those around us. And God, we know that so many um, in this country and in this world do not know you, and they do not have your spirit living within them, and, and we just see the evidence of that in their behavior, the way they treat one another, the way they think about one another, and God, would you just protect us from that, and would you just never let us get to that place, God? You have called us to be your example, your ambassadors to this world. Um, but oftentimes, uh, we look no different. We recognize that that is not the calling that you have in our lives. And so, God, we just repent of all the different times that we have we have added to the division, to the hate, to the, to the trauma in this world. And, God, we just ask that you would empower us um, to be people who can speak your truth, but who can speak grace and truth and at the same time, speak the truth in love, who can image your son. And, God, within the church, I just pray for unity. We know that churches all around the country um, are struggling, and there's infighting within the body. So, God, I just pray that you would continue to just build your church, to bring people together around you, not around anything else that we're tempted to turn to, but would you just continue to remind us what the main thing is? That is our faith in you. And we just believe that the other things will fall in place if you are truly our focus. Father, we pray for Nick as he's homesick this week. Would you just be healing his body? Would you be energizing him up um, for this school week that is coming um, and all that's going to be asked of him? God, would you 
just be empowering his flesh, his body this week. And my God, um, as we have been praying for Antonia's family, um, so much of it lost here. We just praise you for the conflict resolution that has come about, that she is on speaking terms again with her dad, and just for redeeming that relationship. We just recognize that any conflict is an opportunity to see you work. It's an opportunity to see your power and your glory. And so I just pray that their relationship will continue to be that. Um, but God, at the same time, um, it's been so difficult, um, especially with all of his health problems. We just pray that your protection would be over him as he goes in for knee surgery, as he deals with this new diagnosis of diabetes. God, we continually pray that you would use something to bring him into relationship with you, that you would use something to open his eyes. Um, may this surgery be that, that you would open his eyes to the truth of who you are. God, would you just bring him into relationship with yourself? God, we, we praise you um, for the work that you did in the Porto's house this last week. Um, whatever it was that, that you spoke to Josh or influenced Josh to do in order to stay there and to be there to keep their house from burning down, God, would you just continue to develop that sensitivity in Josh, um, that he would be someone sensitive to your spirit, sensitive to your word, to your nudges, to your apparent <laughs> instigation of laziness there, God. Whatever it is, we just recognize that you are the God who speaks, um, but we don't always hear. And so, God, I just thank you um, this week that you made a way their family. God, would you just continue to, to grow that? Would you continue to remind us of all the ways that you speak so that we'd be a people attuned to you? And God, we, we pray um, for Barb's co-workers as they have lost this friend, this co-worker, um, at such a young age in such a horrible way. God, this really is going to rock a lot of people. Um, the emotions, the faith, the different schedules and everything that is going to be all thrown off, God. Um, this disruption, the enemy means for evil, but God, we pray that you would use it for good. And we pray that you would be empowering Barb to speak the hope that we have in you in the midst of what is such a hopeless situation. Um, what is a situation that causes everyone to just have nothing but questions and doubt. God, we know that you are the God who has answers and has a hope for us even after death. And so God, would you just be speaking to all of her coworkers? giving her the right words to say? And would you be telling her when it's the right time not to say anything, God? That the situation um, you have prepared her for, and we strongly believe that, and so we just ask that you would be working, that she would be sensitive to your spirit and walking in step with you. And Jesus, as we turn to your word now, we thank you for being a God who speaks, who has spoken through the prophets, has spoken through your word, and has spoken finally through your son. And so God, we just turn our attention to you. Turn our attention to you to speak to us through the book of Hebrews. Fully expectant um, that you have revealed something about yourself, about your son. So we come before you with open hearts and open minds and open hands um, to fully receive. I just ask that you be working in me um, to continually just highlight what it is that you're speaking in scripture. So Jesus, we love you. We give you this time to do with it what you will. So it's in your name that we pray. Thank you, guys. Thank you for entering into that time with us. Um, there's a lot going on, but a lot that uh, we will trust God with. Well, hey, we are continuing on in our series on the book of Hebrews that we just began last week. 
as Nick gave us a pretty good overview of how this book works, um, some of the main kind of focuses and themes, and some of the main things that we should be aware of and paying attention to as we work through the book of Hebrews. Um, Because there's a lot there, and we really recognize that Hebrews is actually a very difficult book to read and a difficult book to study, because this book is jam-packed with all these hyperlinks, all these citations, Um, The book of Hebrews was really written as a sermon, a jam-packed sermon where the preacher was basically just spitting off one after another, just boom, 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 citation after citation. And so as we move through this book, there's going to be so much to dig into, and we're going to do our best to try to really plumb the depths of the book of Hebrews as much as possible. But there are always going to be things, there are all these citations that he throws in there that we won't always be able to cover. And so I would continually remind you um, to be studying on this at home, or to uh, write down your questions, to come up and to be asking things of, well, what about this, what about that, because there is so much here, frankly, we could spend a lifetime on, Um, and so I would just continually remind you um, to dig into this book as we move forward, Um, because really, um, the author of Hebrews was revealing so much to us about who God is, about faith, about who Jesus is, Um, and one of the things that we talked about is that, you know, this letter really begins with this powerful statement that in the past God spoke to our ancestors through the prophets and at many times and in various ways, but in these last days he has spoken to us by his son. Um, And the author of Hebrews goes to great lengths of showing us how much better Jesus is than anyone or anything that we can name. And as he goes through this book, he's going to be pulling all these different pieces of Jewish history and Jewish cultural symbols and people and important things and, and things from the scripture into one kind of cohesive picture, one cohesive idea to point out how Jesus is better than all these things, all these people. And so he's going to be pulling in all these different aspects and all these different things in order to remind us that Jesus is better. And so he's going to go through kind of all these really important stories, these really important people. He's going to remind us that Jesus today, as we're looking in chapter 1, is better than angels. He's going to get into how Jesus is better than Moses. Jesus is better than Joshua better than Melchizedek, whoever that is. Jesus is better than all the priests and all the sacrifices that Jesus is better. And today, he begins with this reminder, this important thing that we should know, that Jesus is better or greater or superior to or than the angels. And now this is a great and a powerful statement, but I think we do have to recognize that a lot of us when we hear this kind of wonder, okay, so what? Um, I mean, show of hands, who thought this week, I wonder if Jesus is better than angels? Anybody? Was that on anyone's mind at all? No? Kind of didn't think so. Okay, unless you, like, literally live in Salt Lake City, this probably isn't something that you think about all that often, Um, and you've probably never had anyone try to convince you otherwise. Um, And what we do have to recognize is that the book of Hebrews can sometimes seem maybe a bit otherworldly, or it can kind of seem not that relevant to our own lives. Um, Because the things that these early Christians were tempted to consider as better than Jesus are not usually the same things that we are tempted with. Um, You know, we see that, you know, they wanted to place these, like, dead kings and these laws and these power and authority structures as, like, the most important things. Now, here in South Dakota in 2022, we're not usually that tempted to place authority figures or laws as the best thing in the world. Right? I think it's pretty safe to say that South Dakotans don't have an idle problem when it comes to like laws or like leaders and authority, right? The idea of kings, not really something we struggle with that much. Or, you know, what 
one of the struggles that they had is really just like worshiping these old stories that they had and just focusing so much on these old stories from the Exodus and from these things. And so the writer of Hebrews is trying to remind them like, that's great, that's important, but it's not the ultimate thing. And the reality for Christians today is that we probably don't idolize or worship the Bible too much. Uh, most Christian leaders spend a lot more time defending the Bible than telling people, hey, I think you're worshiping the Bible too much. Like, that's just not an issue that we have today. And it's kind of unfortunate that we don't have a higher view of Scripture. Uh, but nonetheless, some of these things can be sort of hard to relate to. Like, none of us have too high view of Moses that it's affecting our faith. Which uh, is probably not something we're going to deal with. And so the book of Hebrews at times can feel kind of bizarre and feel kind of hard to relate to. And we might be asking this question, well, why do we need to know that Jesus is better than the angels? Why do we need to know? And what we're going to see is that this reveals to us something very important about who God is and who we are, actually. And it actually reveals to us about, a lot about what God would consider to be great or superior. And what we are going to see here is that one of the main reasons that we need to know that Jesus is better than angels is that his position in heaven comes from his place as God's son. And actually, so does ours as well. Our position in heaven comes from his place as God's son. And because of that, now we've been adopted into that family. And that's what we're going to see here in this seemingly bizarre, kind of confusing passage. And so, let's get into it. Let's see how we get that. So turn with me to Hebrews chapter 1. Um, Nick started us off um, with the first four verses last week, um, really giving us an outline of how that works, and introed those first four verses, and he just showed us just how jam-packed those first four was. And so now we're going to finish up the chapter here in Hebrews chapter 1, um, beginning in verse 4. So find your way there. We'll also have the words on the screen. go through this together. <clears throat> so Hebrews 1, verse 4. So he became as much superior to the angels as the name he has inherited is superior to theirs. For which of the angels did God ever say, you are my son, today I have become your father? Or again, I will be his father and he will be my son. And again, when God brings his firstborn into the world, he says, let all God's angels worship him. And speaking of the angels, he says, he makes his angels spirits and servants flames of fire. But about the sun, he says, your throne, O God, will last forever and ever. A scepter of justice will be the scepter of your kingdom. You have loved righteousness and hated wickedness. Therefore, God, your God, has set you above your companions by anointing you with the oil of joy. He also says, in the beginning, Lord, you laid the foundations of the earth, and the heavens are the work of your hands. They will perish, but you remain. And they will wear out like a garment. You will roll them up like a robe, like a garment that needs to be changed. But you remain the same. And your ears, your years will never end. To which of the angels did God ever say, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet? Are not all angels ministering spirits sent to serve those who will inherit salvation? Okay, so I suspect for some of you, um, as soon as you're hearing this talk about angels... Um, you're a little skeptical or you're having a little hard time right now. Um, and especially for some of us who might be in this room who are probably maybe even still considering, you know, does God even exist? Or if God exists, is Jesus God? Now to throw angels in the mix seems like a little too much. It seems really hard, really complicated. So I just ask you, bear with me. 
Stick with me. Because what we do have to recognize um, is that one survey found um, that only 20% of American men uh, believe angels exist, and 40% of American women believe they exist. We know women are always more spiritual than men. We see that. Um, but it's funny. Despite 80% of American men apparently not believing in angels, according to the Tattoo Journal's article um, from this last August, I end up in some strange rabbit holes preparing for sermons. Sorry. Um, but angels in 2020 were still in the top 20 most common tattoos for men. Um, and actually, in the last 20 years, they've always been in the top 20, and nine out of those 20 years, they have been in the top 10 most common tattoos for men. So even if the majority of men don't believe in angels, apparently they know that the girls do, and so they're getting the tattoos. I think it's pretty fascinating. Um, but most of us, um, whether we believe in angels or not, um, you know, probably have this idea of angels that's more shaped by like Hallmark movies or maybe even by like Renaissance paintings than by the Bible, right? When we picture angels, we picture these cute little like chubby baby type kids, um, how you want to just like pinch their cheeks and they're like so cute. But we recognize, you know, that's not actually the way that angels are portrayed in the Bible. Um, this is actually, well, here, go back to the first one. So this is actually, that first one, that's the best-selling Christmas card of all time. Um, that's a Hallmark card there. They've sold more of that as a Christmas card than any other thing. I would just recommend uh, don't buy that as a Christmas card or give to people. One, because, I mean, it's just kind of like, what is that even saying? And also, it's just not how angels look. Um, and then this next one, this is the famous Renaissance painting in the Sistine Chapel by Raphael. We actually looked at this before Christmas because it has baby Jesus making this horrible face. And at the bottom, you see these cute little angels, which don't look anything like angels do. I don't know where they get this idea, but this is what people have interpreted angels to look like for years. The reality, when we look at scripture, is that when people see angels, they don't go, oh, cute, I want to pinch your cheeks. Instead, they are terrified. And the first thing that angels often have to say is, don't be afraid, do not fear. Like, I know we're scary, but chill out. Like, don't die on me now. You're going to be okay. And Ezekiel describes angels in his book. In chapter 1, he has an appearance um, from angels, and he describes them like this. Ezekiel chapter 1. In appearance, their form was human. But each of them had four faces and four wings. Their legs were straight, and their feet were like those of a calf, and they gleamed like burnished bronze. Under their wings and on their four sides, they had human hands. All four of them had faces and wings, and the wings of one touched the wings of another. Each one went straight ahead, and they did not turn as they moved. Their faces looked like this. Each, had the, each of the four had the face of a human being, and on the right side, the face of a lion, and on the left side, the face of an ox, and each also had the face of an eagle. Okay, so here's like an artist's rendition of what that would have looked like. You know, can you imagine that as like a best-selling Christmas card? You're going to get a Christmas card from the Fowlers next year with like, here's this biblical monstrosity to get you into the Christmas spirit, right? It's great. One of the other angels that Ezekiel saw was, we know, this spinning wheel with all the eyes, this really complicated thing, this hard thing to see. But this, this is actually the biblical description of angels here. Um, and it's interesting, you know, because the author to Hebrews that we just read, his point wasn't obviously to tell us about angels. His point is to tell us about Jesus, right? And so he doesn't give us much description of angels here. He kind of assumes the audience already knows because he's writing to this audience that seemed to have kind of a problem with 
maybe worshiping angels or thinking of angels in too high of an esteem. And so he doesn't really talk about them much, but he's talking about Christ. Instead, he just described angels in that chapter as being created beings. They're heavenly beings who are worshiping around the throne. And he seems to say that at God's command, angels can take on like, different shapes and different forms, that God can change them into winds, flames of fire. He can make them look like a person, or he can make them look like whatever Ezekiel saw there. Um, and we know that God does this to reveal a lot of things, and that angels are these messengers, and even the way they look is often a message. And, like all those different faces that we see in Ezekiel's different vision, we know that those are representing the tribes of Israel, and he's really showing them a vision by like, forming the shape of this spiritual being. And what we see is that, you know, angels are, they're all out over the Bible. They're especially all over the Christmas story that we were just in a few weeks ago. You know, they're all throughout, and they're giving these messages, and they're helping people to see that salvation is coming, or they're helping to reveal who Jesus is. And so, especially in the Christmas story, um, we see angels talking to Elizabeth, talking to Mary, talking to Zechariah, right? They appear to the shepherds in the fields, um, and the angels are there serving those who will inherit salvation, as this author told us in this chapter. Now, trivia time. We are a few weeks out from our Christmas caroling party, and if you remember at the caroling party, we did some Christmas trivia, and one of the questions, the question that my team may or may not have won the whole game on, was how many angelic appearances are in the Christmas narrative in Luke and Matthew? How many? Does anyone remember? It was six. Well done. Correct answer. I know we all had issues with that. I, I do think there are seven, but nonetheless, we still won, so I'm not going to argue that much. And so they're all over. And so angels in the Bible are serving this important rule, and they're, inser they're serving people who in will, will inherit salvation. And the descriptions of them are not cute little babies, but they're very intense. Very intense. Um, there are the cherubim, which their name literally means mighty ones, and these are kind of the awesome host of heaven who guard and protect. Um, they battle demons, and they're the ones who, when they appear to people in the Bible, they say, don't be afraid. I know, I'm scary looking. Don't be afraid. Then there are the seraphim, right? We know about seraphim. This building is named after seraphim. Um, the name literally means burning ones, um, but it's a little more complicated from that. Um, we see them first in Isaiah chapter 6, where Isaiah is seeing God reveal this angelic creature to him. And what he actually describes them as, seraphim wasn't just like the name God gave him to name this thing, but actually seraph was just the old ancient Hebrew word for snake. And in particular, for venomous snakes. That's where the idea of burning ones comes from. I don't know if you've ever been bit by a venomous snake. I haven't, but I hear it burns. And so what he was describing was a snake-like spiritual being that look like a venomous snake. So many speculate that the seraphim basically look like cobras, so to speak. Um, and so that's where seraphim basically comes from. It's these angelic beings that seem to be serpent-like. Um, and then there are some of the named angels like Michael or Gabriel that we see in scripture, and they seem to just appear as like big buff guys, um, as far as we know. It's like soldiers who sometimes literally carry swords and who sometimes actually kill people. There is a story from 2 Kings chapter 19, which talks about how in one night, 185,000 Assyrian soldiers were killed by an angel. And so when it comes to Jewish culture, a culture that was dependent a lot on protection from their enemies, 
who seem to always have a war going on, who seem to always be in need of protection, angels had very high place in their culture and in their values. Because there were times when angels protected them from 185,000 soldiers. So that is huge. So they had great respect and great reverence for angels. And in Jewish culture, with all that they had been through, they really just had a great respect and a high regard for ability and war in general. I mean, we look at King David, who was honored and so well-liked for not necessarily his behavior or his morals, but all the people he was able to kill. Best king ever, because he was so good at war. And this was a huge value for them. And this, for many, defined greatness. The ability to defeat enemies. That's what makes someone great. But even with how great and how awesome angels were in the Bible, um, surely they were kind of like the best of the best of spiritual beings, the author of Hebrews here is pointing out that Jesus is greater. Jesus is superior. He is better. And it's not necessarily that Jesus is bigger or stronger than these angels that could kill 185,000 soldiers. Um, I think in Jesus' humanity, like technically Jesus could beat up an angel, but he also limited himself in his humanity to be like a five-foot-four man before push-ups were invented. Um, and I don't think that he necessarily would have won any fistfights because he seemed to suggest turning the other cheek. And so violence was not Jesus' game, was it, right? And so it's not necessarily that he's bigger, stronger, able to kill more than the angel. But instead, the author of Hebrews, he tells us why he's better, why he's greater. It's actually measured by something completely different. And these verses pick up this theme over and over again that Jesus' greatness comes from his identity. It comes from his place as God's son. The fact that he is God's son. And so if you look again at verses 5 and 6, you'll see that. If you look at verse 8, that's what it's all talking about. That the way that Jesus is better than these angels is simply out of the reality that he is God's son. It's this relationship he has to the Father. It's who he is. That he is God's beloved son. And so what we're seeing is that God thinks the greatest thing, the most superior, best thing or person on the planet is not angelic or spiritual or mighty in the sense that we would often think of, but it's actually this son who he loves. And it's by virtue of this relationship that he has with Jesus that he considers Jesus the best. And it's in verse 4 of chapter 1 here that we see he became as much superior to the angels as the name he has inherited is superior to them. The name he inherited is better. And so it doesn't matter who's killed more people. It's who he is. It doesn't matter who's bigger or stronger, but he is God's son. He's part of God's family here. And that is what God considers great. That is what determines God's love in a sense. That he is the son. It goes on to explain that in verse 5 and 6 that we see here. And it's the son in Hebrews chapter 1, that we know is actually given for us, right? That Jesus gave his son for us to come and to walk amongst us, to go to the cross for the redemption of sins. And he revealed that, okay, well, this is my greatest definition of greatness. The definition of greatness in God's mind 
is Jesus, this son that he gave, the son who loved and shared with us. And so, looking at Hebrews here, um, he's, he's making this comparison to these angels because as far as the spiritual ladder goes, angels are up there. They're way up there. But he goes on to continue to show that everything we know about Jesus as being greater is supported you know, by this little phrase that he keeps saying, verse 5 and verse 13. He says, For to which of the angels did God ever say? Right? In other words, like God said a lot to the angels. They heard things that just about nobody else did, except the Son. That the Son has this unique relationship with the Father, that the Son knows God better than any angels do, that the Son hears things from God that the angels never did, that even though the angels live in God's presence in heaven and are worshiping him, Jesus actually is God's presence. They're actually made to worship him. And in order to, to defend this point, um, the author of Hebrews throws like five different scriptures out, a bunch of different psalms, um, to back this up. And at first, um, if you look at some of the little notes in your Bible, it'll give you some links of like, okay, well here he's quoting this psalm, and he's quoting this passage, and he's quoting this. And if you go and you read to them, on their own, some of them seem kind of random and disconnected. And you might be wondering like, well, how, what on earth does this have to do with Jesus and angels? It seems kind of confusing. But what the author is doing is, you know, basically putting together a, a picture, a puzzle, a playlist, so to speak, of all these different things. And so we have to look at kind of the whole and what they mean together. You could probably um, figure it out that if, say, you were to get onto my Spotify and you found a playlist on there, there's like an unnamed playlist, and on that playlist I've got like ACDC's Back in Black, um, Eminem's Lose Yourself, uh, I've got Remember the Name by Fort Minor, and like Eye of the Tiger on there. What kind of playlist would you assume that is? What, when might I like listen to that playlist? It's a workout playlist, isn't it, right? You're going to be like, oh yeah, that's, that's what Evan listens to work out in. And obviously Evan works out a lot, right? All the time. And everybody laughs. Okay, what if you saw these songs? There's another playlist on there. And you see these songs on there. There's like Fix You by Coldplay. There's You Say by Lauren Daigle. Worn by 10th Avenue North. R.E.M.'s Everybody Hurts. What might you conclude by finding this playlist? It's a sad boy playlist. I should probably go check on Evan is probably what you could conclude. Like, he might not be doing okay. He might be having a big sad at the moment, right? You might also conclude Evan has horrible taste in music because Coldplay's on there. But. <laughs> wow, we're really divided. Uh, here I prayed for, like, unity in the church, and I'm causing division here. I'm sorry. Oh, man. But here's the thing. You, in order to kind of know what this playlist is saying as a whole, you need to know, like, each song bit. Like, you can kind of get a sense from some of the titles and from what they might be about, but you kind of need to know the songs in order to get what is actually happening. And so it's the same way when this author is going to cite all these different psalms and all these different passages. On their own, they don't always make sense, but once we put them all together, we can see, oh, he's like making a playlist and like, it's this kind of vibe, so to speak. And the author of Hebrews, we're going to see, was like, I mean, Bible nerd to the max, knew everything, could cite everything. And he assumed that his readers or that his hearers also were very, very familiar with the Old Testament as well. 
It's a lot of times he just throws these things out there. He'll mash up multiple different scriptures because he just expects, you guys know these things. Come on, you know what it says. But we kind of have to do some work, some digging, to learn what these are. And the first one that we see um, in verse 5 here, he says, For which, to which of the angels did God ever say, You are my son, today I have become your father. And you see quotes around that in your Bible, and then you'll probably see a little lowercase letter indicating that this is a quote from an Old Testament passage. He's citing something here. Or at least now the Bible translators have pointed out, hey, he's citing something. Now what he's citing in verse 5 is Psalm chapter 2. And what he's citing in the second half there, when he says, I will be his father and he will be my son, is 2 Samuel chapter 7. There's a verse there, and he does kind of a mashup between these two passages. And he brings these two passages into this conversation about Jesus' relationship with God and Jesus being better than angels. One, because when we read those passages, we see this picture of, you know, a father's relationship to a son, and we learn about a lot about how the Bible really holds a high regard for love between father and son. And side note, actually the first place we see love even talked about is love between a father and a son. But also the main thing that these passages are talking about is a king who is coming, right? A Messiah that will come. Psalm 2 talks about that. And 2 Samuel chapter 7 is talking about how one day this king will come and rule over Israel And God has promised that when this king comes, there will be this everlasting kingdom. That God will establish an everlasting kingdom. And that this king will actually defeat all of Israel's enemies. All the enemies that they had been fighting. Now angels had killed quite a few enemies on some occasions. But after a while, a new enemy would come back. Or there would be another one that would come out after them. But the promise in these two passages that he quotes are that one day, all the enemies will be completely beaten by this king, by this Messiah, by this one who is to come. And what the author of Hebrews is telling us here is that you people who are reading this, like, this king has come now. This king is Jesus, this one who is going to beat the enemies that the angels, like, held off for a while. He's here. His name is Jesus. And he actually is the Messiah and the one who's going to exceed the expectations for these promises. And this has a lot of significance to us as well. While it might be difficult to see what the angels have to do with us, this reality is really important because we see that Jesus is doing this not just because he's this big buff angelic being who's able to do these things, but he does this by virtue of being God's son, by virtue of being God himself. And it's that relationship that we looked at. And now this is important to us because I know for myself, how are we tempted to think, you know, greatness is measured or maybe God's love is measured? Um, I'm tempted to think that it's measured by my accomplishments, by my work, by my service of God, right? I'm tempted to, to earn God's favor, to earn God's love, to think that God loves the people who do more for the kingdom, who um, defeat the enemies, who are out there fighting evil, fighting injustice, who are the messengers like the angels who are preaching the gospel to the most people, like they have the most love, obviously. I'm tempted to think that way. But God is pointing out that that's not how it works. That that's not how it works. That just as his love and his relationship with Jesus so makes him great, well, through faith, we are actually 
invited into that same relationship, and we actually are invited and adopted as children of God. That relationship and that basically important aspect of what makes Jesus so great is actually also imparted to us. And so in Galatians chapter 3, uh, we're reminded of this. It says, So in Christ, you are all children of God through faith. For all of you who were baptized into Christ have clothed yourselves with Christ. There is neither Jew nor Gentile, so everyone's in the family here, neither slave nor free, nor is there male or female, for all are one in Christ Jesus. If you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's seed, you're part of God's family, and heirs according to his promise. And we see this in other places, like Ephesians chapter 1 as well, where he continues to explain that through faith in Christ, we're adopted into God's family. That we are now considered sons of God. We have this sonship, which means this inheritance, this great name that Jesus has been given, which means he gets to be in the presence of God. It's given to us because of who Jesus is. And so if God's love, if God's relationship is based on this familial love, this father-to-son love, and he considers all of us to be sons, his children, then we have that love. And we have that from it. And this should be a relief and a, and a comfort to many of us. Uh, many of us who are tempted to think that we have to earn it, who are tempted to think that we have to keep this, um, this holiness-to-sin ratio in check. Otherwise, you know, if that uh, gets thrown off, well, we're not going to have any mercy. We're just going to have wrath and angry God. And um, we just have to continue to earn it and to keep ourselves being good because God's just watching our behavior and a few too many slip-ups. Whoosh, angel's coming. Get you. And we're tempted to believe these things. But if we fix our eyes on what the author of Hebrews is saying here, if we fix our eyes on Christ, who he's calling us to, the one who is the glory of God, as it says in the beginning of the chapter, then he recalibrates and reframes how we view God and how God is viewing us here. And what we see is that we are considered children of God because of the son he loves, because of Jesus. So that makes Jesus a lot better than angels. And so this is significant because, you know, angels, they were God's servants. They did a lot. Jesus is God's beloved son. He has this more intimate relationship with God. He's better than angels in every way. And it's actually the angels who worship him, as we see here. And so, you see, in this passage, God isn't just trying to show us that he's greater than angels for, like, a random reason. We know that the author of Hebrews was basically responding to a pastoral opportunity. Like, these people needed to know something. They needed something clarified. They were struggling with some things that the Bible needed to clear up. And so that's what he's doing here. Um, he was basically answering the question, okay, well, why do you need to know that Jesus is better than angels? And he's clearing that up because they were struggling with that. That was a struggle for them. And he uses all these different scriptures to show that. Okay, you guys did pretty well on trivia question number one. Here's trivia question number two. Now, what do or does the store Forever 21 the football player Tim Tebow, and the WWE wrestler Stone Cold Steve Austin have in common? Oh, we have the answer for you, I guess. There you go. 
what do they all have in common? John 3.16. Okay, so I don't know if you knew this. I don't shop at Forever 21. But on the bottom of every bag, they write John 3.16. Then Tim Tebow famously would put John 3.16 on his eye black. And then Stone Cold Steve Austin um, would change it to Austin 3.16. Kind of sketch. Uh, I don't know about that. But we know he's a serious athlete because he's just drinking Gatorade there and getting hydrated. Um, but honorable mention is also In-N-Out Burger, who they just put all kinds of different Bible verses on the bottom of their cups. Um, but John 3.16, very well-known verse. Um, who knows John 3.16 or is familiar with it? This isn't like a shame thing. This is like pointing out, hey, this is like really common. Okay, it's very familiar. It's probably the most memorized verse in all of North America. We're very familiar with John 3.16. Even people who aren't Jesus followers could probably quote it back to you or are familiar with it. And this is like our favorite verse, I would say, as a culture. This is the one we memorize the most, and it's beautiful. It's amazing, you know? For God so loved the world, he sent his one and only son that whoever would believe in him would have eternal life. It's like, yes, it's beautiful, it's awesome. There's a reason that it's our favorite, that we love it. Well, the early church and the people that the author of Hebrews was writing to they actually had their own favorite verses, their own kind of versions of John 3.16, so to speak. And they were Psalm 2 and Psalm 110. So you can write those down. Those can be your memory verses for the week. Um, but Psalm 2 and Psalm 110 are the most frequently quoted Old Testament verses in the entire New Testament. You will see them everywhere. They're all over the New Testament. They are constantly citing Psalm 2, constantly citing Psalm 110, all over the place. And so until John had written his gospel, those were the most popular verses here. And this little section in Hebrews chapter 1 actually begins there with him quoting Psalm 2, where he says, He said to me, You are my son. Today I have become your father. That's Psalm 2, verse 7. And then it ends on the last little thing where he's citing the Old Testament verses with Psalm 110, verse 1, where it says, The Lord says to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool to your feet. Now, those don't quite have the same punch as John 3.16. <laughs> um, but these were the most well-known, the most memorized verses um, for the first century church. You are my son. I have become your father. Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. Now, why do you think those were so popular, so comforting? One of the reasons is just what they were all going through. Um, Nick told us a bit about kind of the cultural context of the book of Hebrews. Um, we know that this was a message to people who were living in maybe Rome um, or another big city in Italy. So they were these urban Christians that lived in a place where it was really hard to follow Jesus. Um, they were having a hard time. Some of them um, had lost property. Some of them had lost jobs. Some had been thrown in jail. And then later on in a few chapters, it's going to tell us that some had even lost their lives for following Jesus. So they're suffering for their faith, and many of them are starting to question, is this even worth it? Is it even worth it to follow Jesus? It, it's really hard at the moment where we live. And they're wondering, you know, if the Messiah came, and we have all these verses about the Messiah, well, why hasn't the everlasting kingdom come? Why is our city still so broken? Why are we still crying out? for everything to be made new here. And so by placing Psalm 2 at the top and Psalm 110 at the bottom, that's kind of the frame for this whole passage. 
the author of Hebrews is really reminding the church the hope that they have and kind of where they're at in the middle of that. Um, what they're facing. And they need, to, they need to remember the whole story. They need to remember the story that, yes, the Messiah has come, Jesus has come and died on the cross for you. And, but he's going to come again one day to bring the kingdom in full. And that he will establish this and he will defeat all of God's enemies one day. And you have seen him in your own lifetime and you have experienced his presence in your own life. But it hasn't come in full. And he's reminding them that they, they're living in this in-between time, right? That we've talked about quite a bit. That we live after Jesus' first coming and before his second coming. And in this in-between time, we're called to remember what he did, but also to look forward to what he's going to do. And he's reminding them of this promise that he's going to bring everlasting peace. That even though angels killed a lot of enemies, that one day he will make God's enemies a footstool. And all those enemies are going to include evil. They're going to include death, sickness, suffering. God's enemies seem to include every single tear as well. Things that angels never beat. That Jesus is promising completely new creation here and that their life is right in between when that's going to happen. Because they've tasted and seen Jesus' goodness, but not in full just yet. And you see, God guided the author of Hebrews to, to bookend it with that. And then in the middle, he has all these other citations as well. So he has these comfort verses on Psalm 2, Psalm 110, the beginning and end. And then in the middle of that, it's really beautiful how in verse 10 through 12, he has Psalm 102, which is a lament psalm. Lament, lamentation is honesty before God and others that life is hard. And if you read that psalm, Psalm 102, the psalmist is crying out, God, hear my cry answer my prayers. And allowing them to be honest that, hey, life is really hard right now. But you can cry out to God and he will hear you he will answer you. But he also has in verses 8 and 9, he has Psalm 45 in there as well. And if you look at Psalm 45, it's basically a wedding psalm, or it's like a love psalm. And it's talking about a wedding or a marriage. And the author is reminding them of the hope that they have one day when there will be this wedding ceremony between Jesus and the church. And that though life is hard and they're spending a lot of time lamenting, there's also this hope one day of this wedding, of this hope that's coming. And so he includes all this as a comfort. As a comfort that because of who Jesus is, because Jesus is God's son, you might be lamenting for a season, but one day, the day will come when you'll just be singing this love song, this wedding song. He'll be in his presence, and he will have defeated all of the enemies simply because he is God's son, and he has adopted you into the family. You get to be part of this family as well. He's reminding them of that. So it's really beautiful the way he has used the Psalms in here to show that. And he's used this all as a defense that Jesus is greater because he is God's son. Now, I think we do have to recognize the moment that we talk about Jesus as God's son, um, there can be some misunderstandings and we can be kind of confused to think that, well, then does that mean that like Jesus was created or had like a start date or anything like that? Um, but the book of Hebrews doesn't leave any room for that thought. Um, when he continues on in verse 8, this is what he says. He says, 
about the Son, about Jesus, he says, Your throne, O God, will last forever and ever. A scepter of justice will be the scepter of your kingdom. You have loved righteousness and hated wickedness. Therefore, God, your God, has set you above your companions by anointing you with the oil of joy. He also says in verse 10, In the beginning, Lord, you laid the foundations of the earth, and the heavens are the work of your hands. They will perish, but you will remain. They will all wear out like a garment. You will roll them up like a robe. Like a garment, they will be changed. Now, this is kind of an edgy move for the author of Hebrews here, because he's taking Psalm 45 and Psalm 102, which were explicitly and undeniably about God the Father and his eternal nature, and he's explaining that they apply to Jesus. And so, for the Jew at this time, this would have been blasphemy, unless it was true, and that's what he's pointing out. He's basically still just like restating what he said in the intro, that Jesus is actually the creator God, that he is eternal, he is God. He's the one who created everything. And it's at the end of the book of Hebrews that we get that very famous, also memorized passage that Jesus is the same today, yesterday, and tomorrow. And he's saying this over and over again. Jesus is the creator. He's not a created being. And he's making it clear that angels were created, and Jesus is the creator. Jesus is eternal here. And people have been confused and have had some misunderstanding about this throughout the years, partly because of kind of a confusing English translation that came out back in the 1600s, where it describes Jesus as God's begotten son. That Jesus begot, or that God begot Jesus, and that Jesus was begetted, that Jesus is a baguette. And so we get really, we get really confused about that. But basically what he is explaining here is really what most say is that we should probably move on from the phrasing that Jesus is begotten, and what that word really means, instead of begotten, which typically means like produced or created, is one of a kind or unique. And so most suggest that, and most modern translations will have his one and only son, or his one beloved son, or his one unique son, because that's really what God was portraying in those passages there. And so most say that it should say, well, Jesus is the one and only unique son in John 3.16 there, right? Um, and we we kind of get a sense of how begotten doesn't really mean this because that same word was used to describe Abraham's son Isaac when it said that Abraham had Isaac, his one and only begotten son. And so to interpret begotten as meaning produced, well, it was at that time that Abraham still had Ishmael as a son. So technically, yeah, Abraham had produced more than one son. But Isaac was unique because Ishmael was an illegitimate son and Isaac was the legitimate son that he had with his wife. And so it wasn't talking about production, it was talking about his unique nature, him being the rightful son there. And so it's pretty important that the author of Hebrews is pointing out Jesus being eternal here. Jesus being eternal, Jesus being God's son. And one of the main reasons, aside from clearing out a lot of misconceptions about who Jesus is, and basically critiquing a lot of the different ideas that have led to some various cults over the years, which tend to rely on Jesus being created, is he was really pointing out that Jesus is in a category all of his own. Jesus is in a category all of his own. That we are called to worship only the creator, not any created things. So angels, super cool, they're good, they're great, but they're not the best, and they're not to be worshipped that there's still a created thing. And 
with the nature of our hearts, we are often tempted to take these good, amazing, awesome things and turn them into idols, right? To worship them. These things that might be good, these things that might be great, that might be really useful, that might be helpful, that might have protected us from 185,000 soldiers. But then to idolize them, that's just what our hearts are like bent towards. And the author of Hebrews is pointing out here, we only worship the Creator. Nothing created, no matter how good. That they were made to worship God, not to be worshipped. And the Apostle John, who wrote the Gospel of John, and who wrote the book of Revelation, it's at the end of the book of Revelation that he explains that this was all a vision that an angel gave him. And so he was really amazed afterwards. And he writes this um, in Revelation chapter 22. He said, And when I heard and saw, I fell down to worship at the feet of the angel who showed me these things. But he said to me, Do not do that. I am a fellow servant of yours and of your brethren, the prophets, and of those who heed the words of this book. Worship God. So the angel was like, Whoa, dude, like, I just work here. Uh, don't worship me. Uh, there was an angel who wanted to get worship, and he doesn't work here anymore, so to speak. And so he's like, yeah, let's just worship God, only the creator. He's saying, I know this is amazing, and I've showed you some cool things, but we only worship God. And the thing is that while it might be hard for us to consider ever worshiping an angel, I think today our issue with worshiping creative, created things is actually probably more difficult than theirs. Because at least... If you were to worship angels, apparently they will correct you. The things that we turn to today, that we make idols, they're not going to correct you the same way. Uh, never has someone who has made money an idol got so much money that all of a sudden, you know, their bank account was telling them, hey, I think you have enough. I think you're good. I think you've spent enough on yourself. Maybe let's be generous to other people. We know that doesn't happen. That we can never have enough, that we constantly want more. That the things that we turn to, the created things that we make idols, money, power, comfort, sex, our reputation, our image, our own pride, technology, things that promise to solve problems, these things will not correct us for worshiping them. We're taking them as created things and giving to them what only the creator should get. When we make thing, these things idols, they will continue to try to seduce, to continue to try to woo us, to worship them even more. And what the author of Hebrews is saying here is, no, you cannot worship any created thing. And he might be talking about angels, and we might not struggle with that. But if we look at Hebrews chapter 1, I mean, go ahead and fill in where the word angels is with whatever idol it is that you choose. Whatever idol you're tempted to worship is. Because the point wasn't the angels, was it? The point was Jesus. Jesus is better than anyone and anything. And that was the author's whole point. So whatever created person, place, or thing you are tempted to worship, to make an idol of, to think that if I have this, I'll be happy, or if I lose this, I won't be, put that in the place. Look at this. Okay. Jesus is still better. Because to what politician, what leader, what pastor, to what job did God ever say, your throne will last forever and ever. A scepter of justice will be the scepter of your kingdom. Only Jesus. To what relationship, what social status, what reputation, what position of power did God ever say, they will perish, but you will remain. They will all wear out like a garment, but you remain the same, and your years will never end. Only Jesus. 
or to what piece of technology, what new toy, what great hobby, what alcoholic drink or smokable substance did God ever say, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool? It's only Jesus. And to which one of us, after trying to earn God's love, after trying to make ourselves look better than others, has God turned to and said, you have loved righteousness and hated wickedness. Therefore, God, your God, has set you above your companions by anointing you with the oil of joy. What's the answer? None of us. He's only said that to Jesus. He's only said that to Jesus. And so, friends, nothing in this world, visible or invisible, angelic or amazing, however valuable it is to us or however much it has helped us in our lives, in the same category as Jesus. He's in the category all of his own. And so would you set him apart in your hearts, in your souls, in your minds, and in your life? And don't let anything get between you and him. Let's pray. Well, Father God, we just thank you that through faith you've saved us, that you have adopted us your sons and daughters and that you have invited us that you have made it available to us to be part of your family but God we just recognize that our hearts are tugged in so many different directions by the amazing things of this world by these good things that you have given to help us to protect us to, to do so much for us and then we turn to those things to give them the, the love and the praise that only you deserve and God often we trade you for these created things. And God, all too often, uh, it's our own effort, it's our own work um, that we trade for, for faith in you and in the adoption that you've given us. And so God, we just repent of that. We repent of the reality that we often try to earn your love, that we don't rely on the sacrifice of Christ. We thank you for being a God that forgives us nonetheless love us not because of our ability, our achievements, but because of who we are. We're your children. And because of the son that you gave to us, we have eternal life with you. And so would you just continually set Jesus apart in our hearts? Um, when these other things tempt us to, to worship them, to seek our fulfillment and our satisfaction in them, would you just continually remind us that nothing compares to Jesus? Would you just defeat all these enemies of our hearts that get in the way? Because, God, um, as we live in this in-between space where we know and we have tasted Christ's goodness and we have experienced his presence in our life, but yet we also know he sits at your right hand right now and that one day he will come again, uh, would you just continually um, call us to lament, um, call us to, to cry out to you when things are hard, and also fill us with a hope of the wedding that will one day take place? the hope that we have in you. Just remind us of those things, God. So we thank you for speaking to us through your word. And Jesus, we turn to you and worship now. It's in your name that we pray.
just remind you that we're going to have our annual meeting immediately following this, so hang around for that. And then also, if you didn't get a chance to get on the clipboard to go to Halawasa next week with us and do the work day, um, please grab that so that you can join that we know to feed you. And as you go, um, I just want you to go again with the words of Galatians chapter 3. So in Christ Jesus, you are all children of God through faith. For all of you who were baptized into Christ have clothed yourselves with Christ. There is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, nor is there male and female. For you are all one in Christ Jesus. You belong to Christ. Then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. So grace and peace, Common Ground. Thank you for being here. Have a wonderful week.